Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome to episode nine of the first season of Keepers of the Flame, a heavy metal, classic metal podcast. Uh, it's Sunday night. It's time to kick back, relax, at the weekend off with a nice choice beverage. I actually don't have beer this week. I am drinking rum, of all things. Uh, but it is my favorite rum from Venezuela called uh, Diplomatico. It's really good. Um, I just had too much beer this week. <laughs> I was at yeah. <laughs> a, big, a big Zoom meeting with a bunch of the folks from Smolder and Gatekeeper and a bunch of other cool bands. And then my buddy Terry from Scorched Earth was over yesterday. So I'm just kind of like had enough beer for a minute. But so, yeah, I'm drinking some rum and it's time to to get nerdy on a couple uh, heavy metal topics. Uh, with me, as always, my co-host, Rev. How you doing, my man? I'm doing all right. It's been kind of a, a busy weekend, kind of long. I've got a Caucasian, a white Russian right here. Ooh. Um, yesterday was the uh, International Day of the Dude apparently for big Lebowski fans out there. Oh, cool. I, I think March 6th was maybe the release date of the, of the, the movie, the big Lebowski back in the nineties. Um, so I, I think I came across something like that online and it gave me a craving for a white Russian. So I don't remember last time I had a white Russian dude, but I can remember like some pubs in Canada, like people drinking pictures of that shit, like <laughs> actually having like a whole jug of it, like, like a whole <laughs> jug of a white Russian. So I don't know. I mean, oh man. They're tasty though. They are tasty. Yeah, I mean, they're they're really good, and it's it's it, a nice it, like late night kind of drink for sure. It is. And what was that drink that we? Uh, what was that drink that we found out from that uh, that one song that Enrico liked back in the day? Oh, was, from, um, was that the Wasp song? No, the Mr. Big song. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, I don't remember. It had uh, like milk and Coca Cola or something in it. I don't oh, know. Oh God. Yeah, I mean. The thing with white, the reason I can't imagine drinking a pitcher of a white Russian is just like, anytime you're mixing dairy and alcohol, it's it can be good, but you really gotta you gotta be careful. I can't the, imagine what ratios. that next morning is gonna be. Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, talks about lact- lactose and alcohol aside, um, we're gonna get right into this. We have a very interesting album to talk about this week. Um, it was an album that I didn't really know was going to be coming around. Um, and I didn't really know it would be kind of, I, I saw it kicking around the internet and some people talking about it. And when we picked it, I didn't even really know the full story, but the album is by Durbin. The, it's the beast awakens. And um, I guess this guy, James Durbin was an American Idol dude. I have no idea. Never really watched the show, but he was on the eighth season apparently. Um, and I did do some research and he did a live performance of uh you got another thing coming and rob halford came out and then he did uh he actually did one of my favorite songs of all time which is heavy metal by sammy hagar so mm-hmm. he clearly likes uh likes metal uh he was in a he was in like a kind of a glam rock band a sunset strip type band before the american idol thing um then he was in a few various bands over the years he's done some poppy stuff he was also in quiet riot for two years which being quite right in 2017 to 2019 must have been an interesting thing. I don't even know where those guys are playing. <laughs> Probably some interesting, interesting corners of America. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So I get, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one. Here's a guy who with a, 
very diverse background, um, who's now decided to strike on his own, out on his own. He's played in some metal bands, played in one very well-known 80s band. Um, and here we go. He's making his own metal record called The Beast Awakens. It came out February 12th, 2021 on Frontier Records. It's a record label that puts out a lot of interesting stuff. Um, he's got uh, Mike Vanderhuel from Y&T on this record. He's got Barry Sparks on bass, who was in Dokken. One of the 20 iterations of Dokken. I don't know which one he was in. Apparently, there's like four different versions of Dokken out there right now. Um, unfortunately for him, he played with Ted, played with Ted Nugent for a while. Oh, no. um, <laughs> he played with Michael Shanker Group and Ningwe Malmsteen as well. So he's played with some heavy hitters. Um, what do you think of this album overall? Well, it's interesting because while it is unquestionably a heavy metal album, uh, it's in some ways feels like one of the least heavy heavy metal albums I've heard in a long time. It's like, if you ever, you know, ordered a cappuccino and the barista just like, I don't even know how this works, but they steam it too long or they do something too long. And you just, well, you just end up with like a cup of foam. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> this foam doesn't taste bad, but it's just, it's foam. And that's, that's kind of how I felt about this album. Like it's, it's, it's got some cool melodies. It's got some, some good playing on it, but like, and some of this is the production, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but it just, oh, yeah. it's so fluffy. It's so light and fluffy that it's, uh, it's kind of like diet metal to me. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I'm with you. I, I agree with everything you said about that. This feels to me like a celebrity doing a metal record. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I could tell that he definitely has some love for the genre. Oh, um, absolutely. It's like, I mean, it, it, there is a certain degree of authenticity that comes through here, um, but probably not enough uh, for me. Um, the production is my absolute least favorite thing about this record. The production is super light. Um, the guitars are not played with real amps. They're all emulators. They're all digital. There's nothing organic about the guitars in this record at all. Uh, and it's probably the worst guitar tone I've heard on a classic metal album in a long, long time. It's really thin, digital, and it's just really not well produced. This album is not well produced in any sense of the word, in any sense of the word, for a heavy metal record. Um, if it was a pop album, or like a soft rock album or a contemporary album might sound okay, but this just, this has no oomph, no soul, no nothing to it production wise. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because listening to this guy's vocals, he's, he's quite a good singer. Um, and he clearly like has a legitimate love for heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got some lyric writing talent. Um, there's a lot that's working in, his favor and, and the, the band is, is good. The players are solid, especially the bass and drums, bass, yeah. especially. Bass player is um, amazing. Yeah. Excellent bass playing. Um, so there's a, a lot in the, in the pot that's working for him, but unfortunately a lot of the final result, like you said, it kind of ends up accentuating the fact that this is a celebrity of a kind making a metal album. Um, whereas I think they probably could have made some decisions in terms of putting together this album that would have worked against that a little bit and made it seem more of a legitimate metal album. Um, yeah. And I don't think any of that would have necessarily been that hard and it wouldn't have compromised the material um, because the way it's produced, it's very clearly accentuating the vocals and the vocal melodies and the chorus melodies, um, which is probably the strong 
longest part of, of the record, but in that sense, it's much like, yeah, I agree. Um, um, and yes. the, the kinds of melodies we're getting on here. Yeah. It, it's sorry. You're cutting out for a second there. It, yeah. It's, um, yeah, like I said, the, the, like you said, the dude can sing. He's got an insane range. He can hit like more than a few octaves. He's got a really good range. Um, He's got a really, he's got a pretty good sense of melody most of the time. Um, and there's lots, tons of potential. Um, the guitar player is really good. Um, it's not, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's necessarily his fault that the tone stinks, but he's a good player. The bass player is the best player on this album. He's incredible. Um, I, hadn't, I didn't know who this guy was, and, but now I need to check out other things he's done because he's really good. And the drumming is really solid too. But yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately beat up by some uh, some unoriginality and uh, a, a pretty crappy production um and i indicated yeah, in this it. sorry go ahead. Uh, i was just gonna say um you know if you don't know this guy's voice at all it is a very light kind of lyric tenor voice he's mixing into his his head voice and his falsetto a lot and it's it's this very uh kind of soaring light high-pitched voice um which is you know not necessarily it's definitely not a bad thing i mean there's there's definitely metal singers who make that work but i think that one of the strengths potentially of that kind of singing is that it's going to cut through a pretty thick instrumental um attack you know mm -hmm. because his, his because his voice is so high and so kind of precise and kind of in its quality it would cut right through a much heavier production but they didn't go that way they went ahead and, and made it really light so everything is as light as his voice which is why it doesn't really have the oomph that i think we're looking for no i agree with you um but right off the bat i was touching on unoriginality before and right off the bat my personal pet peeve in in music strikes where we have a blatant ripoff um the first song of the album is called prince of metal um, and the verse riff is straight up Phantom of the Opera by Iron Maiden. It is the same idea. It's just a, a bit of a dumbed down version of it, but it's for my money, it's way too close. Um, the chorus is lifted right out of Deceiver by Judas Priest. Mm -hmm. And then near the end, we get a rip off of the Sentinel by Judas Priest. So it's a, a hat trick of plagiarism going on in this song. And, you know, like I said, like I've said before, it's one thing to, to kind of borrow a riff, to take an idea or a melody, throw a little twist on it, but you have to make it so it's not distinguishable from the original. And these are all riffs that, especially the Phantom of the Opera, is just so iconic. Everybody knows it. And it's just like, yeah, come on. I was, uh, when I listened to this, I was just like, come on. You can't do that, especially to start a record. You can't do that. Yeah, well, in general, we, we do have a bit of an originality problem here. Mm -hmm. um, even just looking at these lyrics, they're, they're not bad at all. Like the way he, he's, he's a skilled songwriter. He knows how to make rhymes. He knows how to fit words together in ways that work. He knows how to make himself understood. But it's just that it doesn't really, there's not enough original ideas for any of them to really pop out and grab you. Like just looking through the track listing, in a lot of cases, we're getting songs that, you know, are already metal song titles from other bands or are very close to those. Like we've got mm -hmm. 
we don't have writing on the wind, but we've got writers on the wind. Yeah. We've got a necromancer song. We've got a song called Battle Cry. We've got a song called Into the Flames. We've got Evil a song Eye. called The Sacred Mountain. And, and none of these, that's, it's not, they're not problems. Evil Eye. Yeah, exactly. Um, so these are all very familiar ideas in heavy metal, which again, not necessarily a problem, but all added together, it just doesn't really give anything original to grab onto and say, okay, well, that I haven't heard before. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, obviously. I, I can live with that. that Personally, I can live with that. I can live with that. The riff, the riff ripping off, I can't live with. Like that, that is right. always forever will be the unforgivable sin to me. If you, if you steal a riff and don't change it enough, because look, everybody rips stuff off. I rip stuff off. Everybody does it. Everybody takes ideas. Like the whole thing about like, you know, it's one of those, there's that old cliche where it's like, you know, good artists steal or like, you know, art, all artists like borrow good artists steal or something like that. I know. Um, right. Good art, good artists are inspired by and take something and make it their own. Certainly you can look, call it stealing, yeah. but you can't just copy it. You know, you like, and this, and in this, and this, and this, uh, instance, all three aspects that I mentioned are straight up copied. And it's, yeah. to, to me, it's just, as soon as I hear that, like, I'm, I'm already tuning out. Um, and that's unfortunately what happened to me at the beginning of this album. And, um, well, it's especially when, when it's songs that are pretty much in the standard repertoire of him. Not like, you know, you're accidentally Omen wrote or that like Riot had on one of their early albums. And it's not something that like every metalhead will have heard like Phantom of the Opera is. Yeah. You know. No, I agree. It's, it, it's, it's one thing to take a song, but like something like that, that's just that iconic. You can't do it. So yeah, I don't know. Like that one. So that one to me, I was already disappointed and I was already kind of going, hmm, I don't know about this record. So then comes song two and oh, great. Here comes fucking Chris Jericho. This guy. <laughs> the only thing this guy has done for me ever is ruin a Saxon concert when his band opened. And I, and there was no in and out. So I had to sit through it. Um, I, you know, Fozzie, I'm sorry. Like they started off as a joke band and I kind of got the joke, but it's, it's, that's a tough road for me. And, you know, Jericho's, I'm a big pro wrestling fan and Jericho's one of the best wrestlers to ever do it. But the guy can't sing a lick to save his ass. Yeah, I'm sorry, you just can't. <laughs> Ask Sebastian Bach. Sebastian Bach will tell you about that. Um, so, uh, and this, you know, the, the riff is okay. You know, it's a pretty heavy riff to start it. But again, it's got that, like, real fluffy production to it, which tends yeah. to take away from the heaviness of it all. I will say I found that the chorus for this was a legitimate earworm. Like, I oh, kind yeah. of found myself, it, like... Yeah, there's a few of those on this record. yeah. And that's, that's one of them. There's a few of them. Also, lyrically, this one is just full of Dio references. And, of course, I find that heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I mean, it would be the height of hypocrisy for me to criticize someone who writes a bunch of Dio references into a song. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, talking about the wizard holding out the sacred heart. Like, all right, you know. Oh, yeah. Where, where that's coming from. Um, and yeah, this is this is a song where like, 
just in terms of the melodies and, and everything and the riffs, I thought it was a, a pretty good combination actually of this kind of pop sensibility with the driving kind of metal thing. Some better production really could have made this uh, a much more effective song and possibly just, I don't know, because I don't know anything about Chris Jericho. I think professional wrestling is really awesome, but I don't know that much about it because I just haven't spent that much time with it. So I, I can't say anything from that perspective, but I can say that like, you know, there's a guest vocalist on this that's not very good. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's straight up. It, it, it's rough. And, you know, he's, 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 he's a cool personality. Like, you know, yeah. having Chris Jericho as a presence in the heavy metal world is great, but, yeah, a dude can't sing. And, you know, I, I don't know that he th even thinks he can, but um, it's, 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 his vocals are pretty rough on this. Um, yeah, I mean, you can hear some of the personality that that's cool, but you can also hear a couple wonky moments. And, and you can hear the auto-tune on his voice. Yeah, voice that's what I was about crazy. to say, yeah. His voice is tuned all the hell on this, yeah. and it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty rough. But, um, you know, hey, I mean, they're, maybe they're buddies or something, and that's cool, but I, I, I took a pass on this one. It just wasn't doing anything for me. Um, so... Then the song Into the Flames comes on, and I thought this was better. Um, I liked the vocal hooks on this. Um, the guitars, again, sound really wimpy, and he does this thing where it's hard. I can't remember what words, what words it was in this, but it was like, uh, um, uh, I call it baby speak almost. It's just the way that he pronounces these... Uh, these um, words sometimes, um, especially anything that ends with like er, it's just, this, he has a really funny way of pronouncing them. Yeah, he definitely like drives into the American, um, it's called the retroflex R. It's the R you make with it in the with the back of your tongue or it's something we, I mean, y'all do it in Canada too, to some extent, but like, mm -hmm. it's not really the heavy metal style. It sounds more like, pop or musical theater when you go into the fire you know? yeah yeah it's that's not it. yeah in metal we go fire you know yeah and he really like i mean i guess like singers do it a bit and it doesn't get but when they, sometimes the some guys especially with like this lighter voice that really seem to dig into that sound yeah. and it sounds funny to me yeah it's it's not my favorite thing either like it's it's it sounds very um uh, I, I don't know. It, it sounds very like uneducated American type of singing. It's unfortunately the, the, <laughs> the uh, association I have with that kind of sound. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of, you know, in, especially in classical singing, we're trying to drive that kind of sound out entirely because it really doesn't do any good. <laughs> it kind of closes your throat down a little bit too. It's uh -huh. hard to like, sing it and maintain a, like a beautiful open sound because your throat's going you know okay so that's uh, interesting yeah so i wasn't a, yeah i'm not a big fan of that sound either I'm, I'm glad you picked that you mentioned that um you still have nice big chorus on this yeah i feel like i can hear some auto-tune on his voice too a little bit yeah and i don't know that he necessarily needs it all the time it's just like there's definitely a gloss to the way the um the vocals are are recorded that kind of gives this a little bit more of that fluffy poppy sound and, and i think you know this is a guy who's actually been working in pop music for a while and that's probably just what his expertise 
tells him to do and how to treat his vocals. Yeah. I went back and I, I checked out a couple of his albums from the last 10 years or so. And it's like, uh, yeah, I didn't listen too in depth just to kind of get a sense of what it is. And yeah, it's like it, basic American pop with a little bit of a country tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, not really my thing. Uh, although I could hear that there was some songwriting wise, like he, he does have skills in that area too. I will say that did increase my appreciation for what he's done in terms of becoming a metal singer that it's, it's you know, if, if you're a fan of his, from his James Durbin stuff, you might not be expecting this. And, and it, it is like putting himself out there and it does take some courage and it's yeah. a little bit of a risk. And I do respect that. Yeah, I agree. Anytime you're switching genres, it's not an easy thing. I mean, just even for singers, especially, I mean, for instrumentalists, it's, it's tough enough, but for singers, when you have to kind of change physically how you're doing any things with your body, mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult. And we know from, you know, everybody who's in heavy metal knows it's not really something you do to make money. So <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of, it's, it's, I don't think anyone would should approach this from like a cynical perspective and say, it's just some sort of ploy to, no. <laughs> to get him rich because that's obviously not going to happen no I, I don't think so i don't think this is some kind of like pandering i think this dude is a metalhead and there's an, like i said there's enough authenticity here um to say that this guy actually likes this stuff and he's not taking the piss like he's if if i thought he was making fun of metal or taking the piss i would be tearing this thing apart right now right like and then i'm uh, it might sound like i'm being harsh on it but if it was like if it was something like that I would literally be calling this guy an asshole, right. but he's not an asshole. It's just this, there's things that aren't working on here. And, you know, we got to be honest. Um, but I'll say that the next song, Sacred Mountain, I dig this track. Yeah, I me too. This, I thought this was really cool. Um, it has, again, he, he does the Dio vibe pretty well. Um, all the different parts seem to play well with each other, like the riffs, the vocal melodies, the mm-hmm. solos really, the guitar solo is really good. Um, all the different layers. The production again is great, but you know, um, he actually reminds me of um, on this track his melody, not his voice a little bit too. He kind of goes into a bit of a different voice here. I mm-hmm. thought um, he reminds me of this guy uh, who sings for um, a, a, there's a German guitar player named Axel Rudipel who plays oh, like yeah. really grandiose power metal, and he reminds Joey Juelli is his singer, and he's one of my favorite singers in metal. He's one of my favorite singers in any genre. And um, James is kind of reminding me of Joey here um, a fair bit, which kind of got me excited. Um, I think this is the one song on this record that I think I might keep on my playlist because I just think it's a really cool track. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I actually, I think it's the best riff on the album, the opening riff. It, it, to me, it sounds the most interesting and just different from other things. Like it has a, a bit of its own character. Um, it's kind of a, a mid-paced thing. Um, and it's got, I guess the basic groove is that classic kind of Dio, the heaven and hell kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the main riff on this is actually interesting. And the lyrics are, are a little bit more interesting too and in-depth um, and a little bit more adventurous, I think. Um, and I felt a little bit more of a, it's a little bit of a darker song too. Um, and kind of, yeah, I think it gives a little bit, it's out of all the songs on this album, I think this one kind of best shows the potential of this band. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's definitely, if, if there was a lot more of this uh, on the record, more stuff like this, I think 
it would be a lot stronger. Um, do more of the good shit and less of the bad. I guess that's the model here. Um, but no, that's our magic formula, right? Yes, there. exactly. That's our just just do more of the good stuff, do less of the bad stuff. That's the key to success, kids. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, this song, the song rocks, dude. And I was very. This kind of made me go okay because I was pretty. I guess I was pretty bummed out listening to it up until this point. But this one made me go okay. Well, maybe there will be some stuff here I can listen to. So. Um, but I will say, if you're going to check out one song of this record, Sacred Mountain's the one to look at, in my opinion. Yep, I would agree. Um, uh, and then The Beast Awakens comes, and uh, my interest is waning, waning again. Um, I really don't like the riff in the intro. I don't like those kind of guitar riffs at all. It's just a personal thing. Um, and he really does that uh, discover thing here in yeah, this yeah. song. And the other, and I'm like... <laughs> It just it drives me crazy, man. It's, and he's he does it so harsh, and I'm like, oh. So this was one. This was that definite pass for me. I did not enjoy this song very much. Um, I like the chorus of this one. I have to say, it's kind of simple. It's got this like descending line, and there's some there's some nice harmonizing harmonizing on it. Uh, yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, I didn't really pay much attention to the verses in part because yeah, you've got the Yeah, you're right. Each each pre-chorus ends with discover and other other every single one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh god, you know, make it stop. Um but yeah, I mean I don't wanna sh- I don't wanna trash this song too hard, but yeah, just between the between the intro riff and the the pre-chorus melody and everything. Uh I I only listened to it once. I didn't I didn't bother to revisit it if I'm being honest. But that's okay. You know, I'll give me singers. Um, the next one, man, this Evil Eye has a great riff. Um, mm. It's a really cool, heavy riff. Um, I just wish that the production was better because if the production was better, this. So last week we talked about the Todd Latour album. If this album had a production like that, this song would rock. This song yeah. would be. This song would sound really good. Now, would his vocals be? Um, you know, uh, would it suit that? I don't know. I think he could probably make it work. He sounds like he's probably pretty diverse to me, so he probably could put a little bit of grit in there to match it. But if this, if this had, if this guitar tone had some bite, this would be a good song. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say it's kind of, in a way, unfortunate, maybe <laughs> that we heard the Todd Latore album last week because it's a similar thing in that it's a you know, presumably a solo artist, um, even though this is just called Durbin, but it's still kind of a, it's a vocalist focused solo record. Um, but that one just had so much diversity on it, both in terms of vocal styles and songwriting. And then the production on it was just, it, it we were surprised how heavy it was. Whereas this one, it's, you know, a similar setup on the surface and it ends up kind of doing everything wrong that the Tavatori one did right. Yeah. So this one, I mean, I didn't really, I don't know. I, I thought the song was, was cool. Uh, I do like that riff. It's, it's a really heavy riff, but again, when you're, you, when it's that thin rate, like paper thin production, it just tends to understate the heaviness of the thing. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah, next one... up, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that one was, it didn't, I didn't have too many thoughts about that particular song. No, I, yeah. I didn't have too many thoughts about that one or the next one, the ne- one Necromancer. I was like, yeah, I didn't have any, it wasn't bad, 
but there was nothing about it that made me really want to listen to it. And I think, I think that that was probably the production again. Like I kind of was like listening to this thinking, you know, this isn't the kind of tune that I, this is bordering on power metal. This is kind of the tune that I, kind of type of songs that I like. I don't know why I don't like it. <laughs> you know, it was. Yeah. It's like they were trying to do something a little bit more high energy, maybe just a little bit darker in theme and a little bit, you know, faster and heavier, but you know, I, I almost like just a tiny, tiny bit merciful fate or something, but they just didn't quite get there. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, that's just, it's just kind of, that's, it's one of those whatever songs, I guess. And that's another album, you know, this is something we almost talk about every week now, but this song is 55 minutes long, 12 tracks. Um, could yeah. probably have been 45 minutes and sure. maybe it would have been stronger. I don't think that would have made it an album that I want to buy, but um, that one could have gone. Um, next is Riders on the Wind. <laughs> um, the title aside, the song I found quite enjoyable. Um, it's well written. It, the parts go together well. The transitions are nice. It's a bit slower, mid-paced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought, again, it was okay. I just didn't have all that much to say about it. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, for me, in in this album, I'm really starting to kind of like get in that track six, seven, eight quicksand where it's just like, I'm really having trouble coming up with anything to hang my hat on here. It's just like yeah. songs that they're not, they're not offensively bad. They're not so great. They're really reaching out and grabbing me. And especially with the production, making everything seem kind of just kind of fluffy and beige. Yeah. It's just nothing really reached no, there out was, me. Yeah, the last three songs, there were just nothing sticking out. Um, Calling Out for Midnight, though. Yeah, this one made me perk up, actually. I, I thought this was cool. There's some amazing bass work on this. Um, that dude is just, he, he has some really, like, really um, dexterous bass work here. You know, he's jumping all over the fretboard. He's got some really excellent, um, some excellent, excellent playing going on. Um, there's like actually a really cool chromatic style riff. Um, yeah, I like song. the riff on this one. And that's something that I, I, I like riffs like that, even though I've never really written. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like these kind of riffs. Um, yeah, this is a cool tune, man. Um, again, better production would be a great tune, but there's, there's some cool stuff here. There's some, uh, we're getting some, some Tolkien references in the lyrics, just kind of from the dialogue, you know, and, and this is making me wonder if, if and James Durbin, he's about my age, actually. I think he's just six months older than me or something. Mm-hmm. Looked it up on Wikipedia. Seems like someone who's probably watched the Lord of the Rings movies a lot and just has those, like, that dialogue bouncing around in his head, and it comes up in his lyrics every now and then. Got like it, this yeah. hour of wolves and shattered shields thing, which is from uh, Aragorn's speech. I did know, notice there was, the there was yeah, I did notice there was cool, cool lyrics here. I did like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that one was. Um, yeah, that's a that's that would. I would nominate that one for like the the EP, you know, or the, the you know the, the if I'm going to take three or four songs off this, uh, and just make a little EP out of it, I'd probably nominate that for one of them along with yeah. Sacred Mountain and and maybe a couple others. Yeah. So from there, yeah, that that song rocks. So from there, we move on to Battle Cry, which is you know, I knew that I knew a ballad was coming. You know, I knew it was coming. Um, this is the best produced song on the album mm-hmm. because it's not really like a heavy metal song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be considered a heavy metal ballad, but this is 
very much more along the lines of what I believe this producer is used to doing. Um, I don't know. I don't know who produced it. Maybe it is a metal guy, but I don't know. But this one, the production actually works on this track um, because of the nature of it. And I find myself enjoying it. Maybe just for that reason. I don't really know if it's a particularly great ballad, but it's, it's a good ballad. But I was like, oh yeah, this, I was really thoroughly enjoying that one because the production fit the music. I would say it's, it's kind of a semi-ballad, though. They definitely don't bring it all the way down. No. It's, no. it's, a, it's a groove ballad kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I should clear it up. It's not like a full-blown every rose has its thorn kind of thing, but it does have that ethic, and I feel like the production actually does kind of work on this record, on this song. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and James really shines on it. You know, he's able to really use his voice well. Um, this kind of thing I could tell he's done before. So mm-hmm. um, that probably helps, but yeah, this was, this was another, another highlight. I mean, this would, if I was to pull a couple tracks off this one, this would be on my list too. Yeah. I hear that. Um, and we um, get, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was, I was going to say the same thing. Then we get by the horns. Oh, you mean the Sentinel? I, yeah. <laughs> I mean the Sentinel. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It is the <laughs> Sentinel and you can't do that, dude. You just can't do that. Uh but this is also like if i read the lyrics correctly this is uh straight up some lord of the rings shit this really seems like it's about gandalf fighting the balrog okay (laughs) i mean maybe i'm I'm reading into that too much but that was totally what i got from this um he also refers to obliterating durb this in in the lyrics here that i've got pulled up it says durbin's bane but i really think he said durin's bane from Lord huh. of the Rings, but maybe he switched that to Durbin's Bane, which would be kind of a self-referential funny moment. Um, I don't know. I think this song had it had some promise if it weren't for the Sentinel riff. Um, yeah. But we've also got, a, a, a you know, you're talking about that Retroflex R. We get a big example of that in the title of the song. By the horns! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We definitely do. Uh, this song was a rough go for me. Um, yeah, between that, between uh, it being the set in the light, the plagiarism, <laughs> the production, this was a no-go, uh, which was a bit of a letdown after two, you know, more enjoyable, there was actually three kind of more enjoyable songs. Um, mm-hmm. This is another, this one's another big letdown. Um, and it just... It's not, it's not a great, it, it, I don't think they should have done this one at all. It's not good. Um, and the end, unfortunately, it just kind of, this one and the next song really don't close the album strong. Yeah. Yeah. The last one yeah. is, the last one is Rise to Valhalla. And like, could we just not have any more Valhalla songs, like in metal, unless you're actually Scandinavian and it's in your blood. Can we just like stop? I mean, it's, it's not, if it's cool, like if it's done well, sure. But can we just have stop having generic metal songs about like going to Valhalla? Like it's done, dude. It's just been beaten over the head so many times, and especially on a really light sounding album like this. I don't need to say to hear like a really light poppy song about how warriors are going to the Great Hall of Valhalla. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, I kind of, when things get a little too Norse, I do tend to tune out a little bit, unfortunately. And that's no disrespect to uh, the heathens out there 
and obviously to, to actual you know people of, of Norse descent and no offense to the people who really go all in on doing Viking metal and things like that. It's just like, I don't want to hear one song about Viking stuff on an album that's about more generic things, you know? Just... Agreed, agreed. If you're real Monomarth or Tear or yeah. any of those bands who really like wear it on their sleeves, that's what you do, hey, cool. That's awesome. But if it, yeah, like you said, if, if it's, just appears out of nowhere kind of on an album. And again, it's just, I guess it's just about integrity. You know, if you're going to like, there's nothing wrong, I guess, with writing about Norse mythology, even though it's been done a million times, kind of like writing about Satan. Now it's like, yeah, it's just kind of been bludgeoned over the head. And I think both things conceptually are cool stories and there's lots of cool imagery and stuff that goes along with it. Um, it just comes across very disingenuous here. It feels very cookie cutter, but cookie cutter Viking, I would say. Um, yeah, and and we're kind of at this point, I think, socially and culturally in the United States, at least, where uh, unfortunately I tend to feel a little bit suspicious of people like doing a little bit too much Norse stuff when they're American, yeah. just because it's kind of associated with a certain element of our society. And I mean, you, you just look at the pictures of the guys storming the, the Capitol and you know, you've got all these like rune tattoos and stuff like that. And again, I know that people who are really into it and the people who are really into like heathenry in a legitimate way are not all about the racism thing, but there are a lot of people who appropriate that imagery and those characters and these, you know, those stories for reasons that have nothing to do with actual Norse heritage. And it's frustrating. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not saying James Durbin is doing that here. I don't think he is, but it does. It's just one of those little things that kind of turns me off for those reasons. Um, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm really conflicted on all of that because um, I, I just hate it when assholes can appropriate things. Um, yeah. And I know that actual Norse culture and Vikings, I mean, it's, it's not like Vikings were the most tolerant, like, you know, chill people on the fucking planet. Like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's not, let's not go crazy here. But I know that the mythology and stuff itself has nothing to do with these unsavory elements we're referring to. There's so much assholes appropriated. But I can tell you from like, there comes a point where we have to draw a line with what we're going to let people take. Because like, I remember when I was in a band 88 mile trip, right. And some guy was in an interview was like, Oh, like, do you guys have white supremacist connections? And I was like, what? He's like, well, 88, HH, Heil Hitler. And I was like, dude, kiss my ass. <laughs> it's a number. It's a number. A number cannot be racist. It can't. It's a numerical value. And our, for, for the record, our band name was taken from um, Back to the Future. That's where it came from. Um, right. But I was just like, man, like, I get it. Like, I... I I wasn't even honestly aware that that was a thing when we named the band. And when I heard it was a thing, I didn't care because it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Well, no, but it's still one of the stupidest things I've ever <laughs> heard of. Um, and I definitely get not wanting to drape yourself in that garb because, you know, a lot of these, like these people, like the Sons of Odin and all this other crap, you know, all these dipshits decide to appropriate it. But, you know, we, we can't let them have it too much. <laughs> You know, it's especially like I know if I was Norwegian or Scandinavian, um, that would certainly piss me off. Oh, um, absolutely. So, but yeah, again, back to the point. It's just we don't need to hear. I don't know where this guy's from, but I don't need to hear 
say like random ass American singers singing about one song about going to Valhalla. Like, yeah, it just comes across really disingenuous and you can just find better things to write about. I think. <laughs> I think so too. Although- I mean, his Lord of the Rings shit's cool. Cause he's clearly a fan. Um, like if he wants to, you know, bang on the, like ride the Tolkien bandwagon, I'm all about that. It's been done a lot, but you know, if you're into it and you do it with integrity, cool. You know, my approach with that stuff is usually just to like, figure out ways to make it fit into a larger context of something that's meaningful in a more general sense, but that that stuff just happens to express really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't want to have like a, I mean, I guess blind guardian kind of did the whole, did a very literal take on it. So, but you know, they did it like in a really grandiose way. Like whatever topic you're broaching, if you're singing about something specifically like a, a movie or a book or a historical event, Unless you're Iron Maiden and you can kind of get away with whatever you want. You right. don't really want to have like a remedial history lesson. You know, you don't want it, right. or like a remedial description of the event. You don't, that's not what you want. Like it's, I think singers should be able to sing about whatever the heck they want to sing about, but you know, make it, give it your own twist and make it personal to you somehow. Um, tell me your yeah, interpretation, I mean, what it means to you. Tell the story through your eyes. So then, then I'll be interested. Well, even with Iron Maiden, you look at the difference between something like Ace is High, mm-hmm. which I think has a personal connection to a lot of British people because of yes. the experience of World War II, or even uh, The Trooper, which is, again, like kind of part of that nation's history, and so they connect with it like that. And that those songs really work. But then there's a song like Alexander the Great, which is like a fucking Wikipedia article. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Or like, you know... Like a lot of the songs off Brave New World are kind of like that. Um, You know, I love that. I love Brave New World. It's one of my favorite Iron Maiden records. But a lot of those lyrics are kind of like just about the describing the book that the fucking song's about, you know? It's like, it's a little weird. But yeah. Anyway, I guess back to Mr. Durbin. I mean, this uh, this album just for me, uh, it just missed the mark. Um, I don't like hate it or anything. I'm not. I I I'm, I don't hate this dude or anything like that. It's just this. I mean, I wouldn't hate anyone for making a record. Hate's too strong of a word. I mean, I just it just didn't didn't it production wise, um, performance. I mean, content wise, it just didn't quite measure up for me. Yeah, I mean, the question that kind of kept coming to my mind is like, who's the intended audience for this? Who is this really written for? Because. I feel like a lot of metalheads are going to have the same reaction we did, which is like, this is cool, but what's it bringing us that we haven't seen before? It almost, this almost seems to me like this is something written for his fans of his, of his previous work who might not know much about metal. So he can be like, here's what heavy metal sounds like in this really accessible way with a familiar voice. Um, And if that's the case, I mean, it'd be cool if it got some more people into metal who weren't into it before. Um, Yeah. Because that, you know, it, it, it that lightness does almost seem like this is a metal album you could like play your grandma, get her into it, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and because it just, I don't know. As a metalhead, I don't really know where what I have to really like hook into this that I couldn't find in in a more effective form somewhere else. Even on um, new albums that came out this year, you know. I mean, yeah. There's, there's so many more better examples of, of this kind of music that has come out already in 2021. And 
I don't know. It just, it seemed I wanted to like it more. I mean, anytime, like anytime somebody like, I guess, I guess some, some heavy metal folks don't really like it when what would be considered outsiders kind of like try to join the club, so to speak, but I dig it. You know, like I, I'm like, yeah, if this, if this guy's a talented singer and he wants to take a stab at heavy metal, cool. Let him try. I'll check it out. But, you know, and I think that I hope he does another record, like, which is a weird thing to say because I, no, I am not recommending this album. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to it again. Um, but I hope he takes another stab at it because I do think there's enough elements going on here and enough talent, um, like just pure talent that he probably could pull off a really, really good record. I think it might be the kind of thing where if he found the right collaborator, you know, yeah. some sort of hotshot guitarist who writes really good riffs or a band that wants to kind of make some more involved compositions. And then he could use his songwriting and melody writing skills in combination with their stuff. Like then it could be really cool. Uh, he might just need to find the right group because these guys that he's playing with are clearly very good, but I don't know that there's, I don't know. Just the idea, the quality of the ideas doesn't quite seem as high as it could be, you know. And, Production and, too, new producer. Sure, new, absolutely, straight up a new producer. And I'd even be tempted to say like, it, I think the, the metal community might be a little more accepting of something like this if he just kind of chose a band name for a project rather than kind of attaching it to this existing legacy that most of us don't really care about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, not much of a, not many of us really watch American Idol. Um, right. I never watched it. Um, I do remember seeing the Rob Halford clip though. When, and, yeah. and I didn't realize that he was a dude singing with Halford. Um, it did, it didn't, it just didn't click in my brain. Um, and I do think I remember seeing the performance of heavy metal um, by Sammy Hagar. Some, People, I, mean, I remember people showing it to me, like, you know, some of my normie friends being like, oh, check right. this out. And I was like, oh, that's neat. Don't really care, but that's neat, you know. Um, but, again, they got a talented singer. Uh, if, he, if he had the same rhythm section, just maybe a better sounding guitarist and, yeah, like you said, a collaborator, a songwriter that could, you know, bring in some cooler ideas and – some a, pro- a producer who could bring a bigger sound to the table, a much more a raw sounding metal sound to the table. I think he would make a much better record. I think he could do it. Yeah, I think so. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting to hear some of these. I've never really thought about it this way before. Cause I'm not like a big pop music listener. I like some, but I'm hearing all these like really American radio pop kind of melodic elements being put together with metal in a way that I hadn't really heard before. Cause there is like, I mean, outside of hair metal, I guess, but like contemporary metal, we've, there's pop metal. And in fact, like Durbin's voice reminded me a little bit of that Greek gentleman who sings for that band Beast in Black. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I mean, and they're kind of a hundred percent into the like Euro cheese kind of thing. They're playing pop metal, but the the pop is very much like euro dance music kind of pop and i've i've heard some things like that before coming out of europe right they're like very poppy but metal um and they're combining it but it's always kind of more from that kind of disco sounding euro tradition i haven't heard many things that are kind of combining these american style pop melodies with metal 
maybe there's a maybe there's something to be mined there. I don't know. Um, maybe not, but but maybe with the right production um, and the right collaborators, something cool could come out of that. I yeah. wonder. But as it is, it's just even just look at the album cover here, and and it's it's cool. It's a cool image, but it's just kind of unfortunate that it's like it's like beige. It's like a taupe mm. album cover. And that's kind of how the album sounds, you yeah, know? I'm with it you, It sounds dude. kind of like taupe and gray, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it just falls, it falls a little bit short. And, you know, like I said, it's his first solo venture into metal and hopefully he does better in the next one. Yep, yep. We're rooting for you, James. Hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> much love, man. I mean, it was, it, it's, a, it's a first effort and hopefully the next one um, comes through even better. All right, so that's it for that one. Um, I guess we're going to move on to our picks of the week right now. And uh, my pick of the week is Motorhead's Overnight Sensation album. Um, you can see their very pretty faces on the cover there if you're watching the video. Um, so this is from my actual favorite era of Motorhead. Um, the era from, like, you know, the early to mid-'90s. Um, most people know them for, and I don't, I'm not saying that I don't like the 70s and 80s stuff. I do. Like Ace of Spades, of course, one of the biggest albums of all time by any metal band, period. Uh, Overkill, Bomber, Iron Fist. These are amazing records. But I actually got into Motorhead listening to this stuff as it was coming out in the 90s. So this stuff, for me, um, holds a special place in my heart. And I would contend that they're better albums. All of them. Um, Sacrifice. Uh, Bastards, Overnight Sensation, those are the big three for me. Those three records are absolutely killer. Uh, Snakebite Love was really cool, too. I believe that was a little later. And there's one called March or Die, which I'm not a big fan of. But um, this one here, the, the man, it's just, what do you say? I mean, it's fucking Motorhead. So it basically just rocks really hard. Um, the production on this album is so thick. It's the opposite of the Turban record. It's so thick. It's gnarly. Um, it reminds you of dingy bars, motorcycles, and just fucking, I don't know, drinking nasty whiskey and smoking. I've never smoked a cigarette, but what I imagine smoking a cigarette is like. Um, the first half of this album, every single song, every song just kicks my ass. Civil War, Crazy Like a Fox, I Don't Believe a Word. Eat, eat the gun overnight sensation these are all just classic loud motorhead rock and roll songs side b kicks off with a song called love can't buy you money and it's kind of like a it's a bit of a chunkier riff i guess than motorhead is really known for it's got a fat groove to it um and um lemmy almost has like a more rhythmic vocal delivery in it than he usually does um there's some acoustic guitar in this album there's some like slide guitar in this album Motorhead started doing some really interesting stuff in the 90s. They started branching out a little bit from just kind of being the punk and rock and roll hybrid that were in the 80s. And they started incorporating some blues, um, some different elements of rock and roll. They started, you know, being more in line with some of their, borrowing from some of their, like, more, more uh, heavy metal contemporaries. And, like, I don't know, if this, this album, like, this album cover is just, it's bare bones. It's... You know, it's I, I like that. I like the simplicity of it, and the music matches it. It's just, man, it, it's it's a it's a good mood album too. Like this is like a very good mood album. I put this on at parties all the time. Um, 
But yeah, mm-hmm. overnight sensation by Motorhead, which let me will tell you, it was not an overnight sensation. <laughs> when, he, when, he, <laughs> when he announces the song live, he goes, this song is from the album Overnight Sensation, which it wasn't. <laughs> so, you know, of course, Lem always had a good, uh, good sense of humor about himself. But this also has the, this is one of the first ones with the classic Mickey D, uh, Lemmy, and Phil Campbell lineup, which, again, for my money, is the, the best lineup Motorhead ever had. Not, di- not diminishing anything about the old school one. This is just my favorite. Um, so, yeah, Motorhead Overnight Sensation. If you don't have it, if you haven't checked out any 90s Motorhead, this one, Sacrifice and Bastards, are those ones will do you – you'll be, do very well to check those out. Cool. Well, this week I've got an album I've been kind of wanting to talk about for a little while, and now this seems like a perfect opportunity because this is an album that has – a couple things in common with the Durban album. It just does everything so much better. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this, this is the album, The Poisoner, uh, from the band White Crone. And White Crone is the project of a, a blues musician out of Portland uh, named Lisa Mann. And she is, she's like a legit uh, high-level professional blues player at least from everything I can tell. I don't know too much about that world, but um, badass singer, badass bass player, who's been in the blues scene for a long time, but apparently is a lifelong metalhead and finally decided to put out a metal album. Um, so yeah, in that respect, it does kind of resemble what we were talking about earlier because it's somebody coming in, making an album just out of a pure love of heavy metal. However, this album I think has a lot to recommend it and a lot that it brings to the table that other albums don't. Um, the first thing is which is, is first of which is just that um, Lisa Mann is just a fantastic singer. This is one of the best vocal albums uh, I've heard in a long time. Um, certainly one of the best of last year. Um, this was recommended to me actually by uh, Jim Harris from Silent Storm who's also from Oregon. So I think he's been promoting this as much as he can. Hell he yeah, Jimbo. Yeah. Good guy. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of an, uh, I guess I'm an, I'm an enthusiast for lower female voices. Um, mm-hmm. Part of the reason I really love Unleash the Archers is Brittany has that, um, has that great alto voice and she's able to use, you know, well up into the soprano range too. Um, but I like that kind of, I like a darker female voice and, and this is just a fantastic album for contralto singing. She's got a very uh, deep voice and you know, there's a, there's a couple of different factors that come into play with vocals. There's, is the vocal tone exciting in and of itself? And then is it being used in a way that's interesting? Right. Um, some of that just has to do with the voice and, and the body and, and how you physically produce the voice. And some of that's just how you sing and what your sense of music is. And so sometimes you get people who maybe don't have the most interesting voice, but use it very well. Or sometimes you get people who have a really impressive voice, but don't um, know how to use it. But, but this is absolutely, she's absolutely both. Her voice is, has this really cool, exciting, like, um, kind of dark occult sound to it the way she's using it here and then the way she phrases everything is just impeccable like it's it's so intelligent the way she um puts together melodies the way she combines the melodies and the words 
it's just legitimately beautiful singing, but it's being done in a way that's kind of spooky, a little bit uh, gothic kind of at times, a little bit occult. Um, and it really weaves a, a spell that for me, at least as a, as an enthusiast of good singing and as a metalhead, it just really sucks me in. And, um, there's some great melodies on this album. And, and the other thing is she's a damn good bass player. Yeah. Um, damn good bass player. And I've talked a few times on this podcast that, you know, most of the time, if you're singing and playing an instrument, you're, you're going to have to lose stats in one way or another. Uh, but that does not seem to be the case here. I mean, this is some top level bass playing, top level singing that seemed to be happening at the same time. I don't know how it was recorded, but um, I know when she plays blues stuff, I've seen some live videos, it's happening simultaneously and mm -hmm. it's awesome in two ways at once. I don't know if this is ever gonna be a live project. Uh, I certainly hope so. It'd be awesome to see this. Um, she plays all the basses, guitars, vocals, and then there's a drummer. Um, so it really is a, a solo project in a lot of ways. Um, although one song actually has Vinny Apice on it. Um, the song Under Hagstones, which is a really cool track. And I can imagine as a bassist, you know, growing up listening to, to Sabbath and Dio that getting to collaborate with Vinny Apice on a song would be a... a I can tell you firsthand, that's, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this is another album where the, it does mean the guitar is a little bit... Um, not in the spotlight um, to my ear, both in terms of just the songwriting and the playing and the production. It's, it's a presence, it sounds good, but it's not as in focus as the vocals and the bass. So that's another thing in, in common with that Durban album is that it's, it's a very bass and vocal focused album. It's just that the songwriting, the way the album's put together with the tracks and the interludes, the variety of topics that are being sung about, the variety of moods. It's just a really professional um, production. So I really, I can't recommend this enough for people who like, um, and the musical style is kind of, it's a little doomy, a little bluesy, which I guess is to be expected, but with some kind of, um, you know, some new wave of British heavy metal kind of sounds to it. So it's like kind of a, a candle mass sound, but with a little bit of a, you know, maiden presence there. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I know there's a, there's a kind of a legacy of female fronted doom bands who kind of, you know, have that kind of uh, cloaks and candles kind of aesthetic, you know, and I can't think of any, um, any bands to name drop right now. Royal Thunder maybe is kind of along mm -hmm. those lines. Um, so I, I know this is part of a, of a tradition in that regard, and maybe I just don't know enough of those albums, but um, it definitely, to me, gives me a really cool feeling of like, you know, being in a stone room with some candles reflecting on the wall, and there's some sort of spooky ritual going on with this like witch priestess character that, that she seems to like to play. Um, so really cool storytelling, really cool journey, and just most of all, just some of the best singing on a metal record I've ever heard. So oh, yeah. absolutely check out White Crone, The Poisoner um, uh, from White Crone out of Portland. Uh, check it out. Yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, a good amount. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but I've heard a good amount of it, like, you know, on the internet and whatnot. And um, it's it's impressive. I've known her as a bass player for a long time. Like, I've definitely, like, watched her blues stuff and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And I can attest that everything you're saying is true. It's, uh, it's, a, great, it's a great record. It's, I hope that... I hope it gets some eyes on it because it really deserves, it really deserves to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. 
Cool. Um, yeah, well, that's a, yeah, a couple of great records for everybody to check out if you haven't checked them out yet. So, um, yeah, I guess moving on, we talked about, um, to, our, to our, our next topic, you know, we had an album with a pop singer um, on the album. And uh, so, Rev, you're talking about, um, we should maybe discuss a bit about heavy metal's relationship to pop music and maybe even pop culture, mm-hmm. which is yeah. an interesting one because you'll hear, you hear the word poppy and thrown around as a negative connotation um, in the heavy metal world, which is an interesting thing because especially if you listen to power metal or most traditional metal, there's a lot of poppiness to that music just in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually similar song structures, like the basic kind of rock slash pop, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus thing is what we tend to use. It's the, the idiom we're writing in. And yeah, some of the melodies themselves are pretty indistinguishable from pop melodies. It's just a matter of what the orchestration is and what the production is yeah. and kind of what the intended audience and the intended uh, live experience is. Yeah, we're not writing songs like jazz musicians with 32 bars of improv and shit. Right. You know? It's like, it's, it is exactly. It's like verse, chorus, pre-chorus, bridge, call it a day. Um, classic pop writing stuff. I mean, you always, I mean, I, I employ that in songs I write where it's like, if you have, if you want a song to kind of be like your single, you want the main melody to come in, whatever the hook of the song is, you want that main melody to come in within the first 30 seconds so that yeah. you get people hooked. I mean, that's yeah. pop stuff, but it's, it's, it's interesting how we throw that term around. Like it's, it's almost a bad thing when, I mean, most of the best bands who, who are out there, um, the most legendary bands definitely employ a lot of pop influence in their writing. And um, I don't. I guess maybe people just don't know what the word pop means, which just means popular, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's been time. I mean, heavy metal is not the most popular genre in the world, but I guess there's a time where it was. Um, um, and it is interesting how I guess in a way, um, heavy metals become seen as counterculture in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, um, which I don't know that I've ever really bought into that hard. I mean, I'm not really rebelling against anything per se i just like like the music and the aesthetic that goes with it um yeah i mean that's how i feel i definitely don't feel the need for there to be some kind of enemy yeah which it's clearly some some folks do feel that way oh yeah there's definitely bands i'll i'll shit on and, and look at as like you know like nickelback and whoever else <laughs> you know but um shit man um i, I just like the tunes I don't, I don't know i like growing my hair long and you know wear leather and stuff I just I like it I don't think I'm special or different because I do that or that I'm counterculture because I do that I'm just following another trend really I mean that's yeah. kind of what I'm doing so but it is interesting too like when you ever you see you ever notice when people see like um I guess I, I saw something on the internet the other day um Kesha was wearing a, a Voivod shirt okay and people were getting up in arms about it again and it's like Again, how do you know she doesn't like the band? Um, how do you know she isn't into Voivod? I mean, is it that far-fetched? Um, I, I don't think it is. I mean, a lot of people, I don't know anything about her. Like, I, I, I would, if I ran into her on the street, I wouldn't know it was her. 
apart from the probable entourage that she has going around with her because she's a big star apparently. I would I wouldn't know her from from Blue Lung. I would I wouldn't know her from anyone else on the street. Sure. Me but neither. so so just because she sings a certain type of music, I mean, I don't know why I would make the assumption that she wouldn't listen to Voivod. Um Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's it's weird metal elitism stuff, but there's something I've found being you know in the metal scene is that there's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily go to metal shows. They aren't metalheads. They don't dress like it, but they have some relationship to the genre because there's one album they happen to like, or they dated someone who was into it, or one of their parents was into it, or yeah. their siblings into it, or whatever. So they like have some relationship with it and might like some of it on their own terms. And just because they're not choosing to make it a lifestyle doesn't mean that their relationship with it isn't valid. Certainly. And, and it's not like it's... I mean, certain, yeah. I mean, metal is something that you have you can't you have to seek it out somewhat if you want to really get into it. But it's not like you need a secret password, or right. you know, you need to find it's or it's like the lost city of Atlantis or some shit. Like you know, anybody could do it. I mean, I guess I don't remember what other pop star it was. I think it was Rihanna was wearing like a Slayer shirt or something, and I was like, fucking cool, man. Like, yeah, I like her anyway. So like, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I like her and I like her music anyway. So I was like, that was even cooler, but people get up in arms because it's a pop singer. Right. And right. Um, I guess somehow that's, that's taboo because the word pop is taboo. We're having, I don't know. Like I think in Greyhawk, our, our music is probably a little poppy in some ways, like some songs. I mean, calls of insanity. You could make a, an argument that there's some poppy hooks in there. Um, sure. And sure. I mean, we, I want to write, you know, a vocal melody that people are going to find memorable and they're going to be able to sing along with. And I want to give them something that like when they hear that chorus, they have, you know, the, the musical ideas and the lyrical ideas are something they can work with right then and there, you know, and yeah. just something I guess Voivod is not going to be doing, but no, Voivod <laughs> <laughs> is not a poppy band. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's, um, it, it, it is interesting. Imagine, but imagine if you took all the pop influence out of Halloween. Like, what are you left with? You're basically left with, like, double kick drums and, like, anything, any guitar riff where they're just, like, staccato picking, and the rest you have to get rid of it. Because right. it's all extremely, it's extremely poppy. Like, like, the song Future World, um, holy hell, that is a fucking poppy song. Um, yeah. Like there's there's just so many other examples of bands that everybody listens to, and it's like, dude, that is mega poppy. Um, it, it, anything you know that's European and power metal. It's not Arctica, um, Hello Poppy, um, Stradivarius. Yeah. These are all bands that I love, and they're poppy as hell. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it is a strange relationship, I guess, and I I, I guess it's one that I don't really understand. Um, but I guess it, it's image. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's sometimes metalheads don't want the, the kind of spell to be broken that it's like, Oh, metal's not just a music genre. It's like a, it's a whole thing. It's a whole world where people like think differently and are substance, sub, you know, their substance is somehow different because they listen to metal, but that's just, that's not true. I mean, it is special. We're here talking about it every week because we think it's special. No. But it doesn't, not in a way that, that invalidates every other kind of music. It is 100% a unifying force. 
I believe, for people. I think that it is, I guess, in a lot of ways, it is maligned by certain as- – or has been maligned by certain aspects of um, our society. Uh, but I think those days are kind of gone. Um, unless you're in, like, Podunk, Alabama or something, and then they might still think you're worshiping the devil or something. Um, right. Or, like, or in Poland, apparently, where they just – you hear they charge that dude from uh, Behemoth with, blas- with blasphemy? Yep. I did hear about that. I didn't, I didn't know you could get charged with blasphemy anywhere yeah. in the world. No, Poland's like a pretty hardcore conservative Catholic country in that, in that regard. And I'm, to be fair, like, as I understand it, you know, he's been intentionally trying to kind of bring that down on himself to bring attention to the fact that those laws still exist. Like, right. Well, he did. Good, which is good for him, I guess. But um, yeah, to me, like metal, it's, it's definitely not, it's not a, it's a huge part of my life. I, I listen to it every day. I mean, I guess like the things I've done every day for the past 30 years are like eat, breathe, piss, shit, listen to metal. <laughs> like every single day. I mean, there's days I go without going to the gym and working out. There's days I don't play music. There's days, you know, I don't watch a movie. There's days I don't watch television. But I do all those other things every single day. I do listen to heavy metal every day of my life. Um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't listen to at least a couple of tunes. Um, so, yeah, it definitely is a huge part of my life. And it is a unifying force for people. You wind up meeting lots of people who, I guess, have similar values to you um, mm-hmm. because of this. And, and, and you, there's people you can bond with because there's a, a similar thing in music. And it has actually, like, kept a lot of my long-term friendships alive, like, you know, cause I still like talk about music with some of these guys I've known for um, my entire life. Like some, most of my lifelong friends um, have some kind of strong relation to heavy metal music, but it is by no means like some exclusive club lifestyle that is like anything different than anybody else does. You know, we're the same as everybody else. We just have our own thing we do. It's yeah. the, to quote Cheech and Chong, it's the same but different. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting for me because, you know, I kind of became a metalhead as a, as a teenager. And then I went off to school for classical music and spent a lot of time kind of more exclusively in the classical music world. And getting a little bit of a, of a perspective on that, it kind of suddenly occurred to me that what there's different paradigms of music and I think that a lot of people, when they don't understand other types of music, it's not really the music itself that we're misunderstanding when we don't understand another genre. It's the paradigm of how that music is written and experienced. We yeah. don't understand the context for it. And so I, I think I realized like classical music is just such a different paradigm, especially if you go to like early music and you're like, oh yeah, we're just working with all these like historical instruments from the 15th century that were like written to be performed at some king's particular birthday party. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's really, really different from contemporary music. And in a lot of ways, like heavy metal has a lot more in common with pop music than it does with symphonic music or something. Dude, in that, it, in yeah, that- I agree. Yeah, because it's conceived for the same kind of process. It's like you, you, the, the, the paradigm is, you know, you write the song, you record the song, it goes on to some sort of recorded media so a lot of people can hear it, and then maybe they come to hear you play it live again. 
which is really different from like classical or jazz, which is not necessarily written to be recorded, but but written to be performed in a particular context. Yeah. Uh, and then the recording becomes like a secondary byproduct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that respect, even though classical music and metal may have more things in, ter- in common in terms of actual like sound and musical qualities, the paradigm of heavy metal is very much coming out of the same paradigm as, you know, every pop artist ever. Mm-hmm. It's just a difference in orchestration, in like the instruments that are being played and kind of the attitude with which it's being done. Um, and people are always kind of like more frustrated with the things that are like the most adjacent to their in-group, you know? That's why like metalheads, I guess they do hate pop music, but like metalheads hate false metal, you know, more than they hate <laughs> other genres. You know? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I get that. I'm mean, getting back to one thing you said about the, the, you know, the classical music thing. And I totally agree with you. It's, it's one of those statements that I always hear people say, that like, you know, oh man, heavy metal is rooted in classical music. It goes back to Wagner and stuff. I'm like, man, it, no. <laughs> like, certainly like some, 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 some musicians listen to like Wagner and, and Beethoven and Bach and all that stuff. I mean, you and me certainly do. Like a lot of, like, most of the guys in our band certainly do. Um, but you know, I don't think that Tony Iommi was listening to Wagner when he wrote the riff for Iron Man. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I like those things. Those are rooted in, in rock and pop music. Like our genre is not goes does not date back to like classical stuff or jazz or anything. It's if you actually listen to like those kind of musics, you'd figure that out pretty pretty fucking quick. Um, it definitely has a lot more like. Like modern, like classic metal, has a lot more to do with Michael Jackson's "Beat It" than it does Wagner. Yeah, you know, it has much more, at least much more in common, you know, with with it because certainly, yeah, I mean, those the classical, I mean, certainly, like there's the heaviness of that stuff and like the epicness of it that maybe eventually some bands took from, but no, man, it's just like I, like I always say, rock. It's just rock and roll played real loud and. You know, there were bands as they come down the pike that like took influence from folk music and, you know, and yes, symphonic and classical stuff and neoclassical stuff and, um, and blues and whatever else and really incorporated the raw elements of those in their writing. But that didn't come till way later. And that was like people kind of experimenting. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that for myself as a listener, I tend to prefer the music that's the most intense and the most majestic, you know, and that's, that's a box that both opera and metal just happen to tick, you know, and there are certain things they have in common in that quest for intensity. Yes. And, and that's a lot of pop music is just not quite that way for me. And so that's why I like symphonic music and I like heavy metal, but I'm not going to go and try to say that, like, I've heard a lot of people say like, if Mozart were alive now, he'd be playing heavy metal and, Maybe and it's possible. He'd probably be playing but, classical music. I, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think if all Mozart and Beethoven were all alive today, they'd probably be playing writing orchestras. That's they'd probably be like making film scores because that's where a lot of the best classical. Yeah, exactly. Or they they'd be writing stuff for movies. You know, exactly. Yeah. Like they'd be doing the John Williams thing. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, and do you remember that fucking Manowar concert we watched where they were like yeah. had that whole thing about Wagner and the other guy were like saying. We love you, but fuck your family. Because <laughs> right, they, they wouldn't us, like, they... do whatever the fuck they were doing. 
I don't remember what they wanted to do, whether it was the, the rights for some of the music or they wanted to like film something at Bayreuth or something like that. And yeah, and the Wagner family wasn't into it. So the Man of War just went off about it in front of 10,000 people. I mean, that was pretty funny. Oh, but. it was one of the, fun, it's one of the funniest <laughs> things I've seen in live heavy metal. I love Man of War to death. And them doing that as stupid as it is, is just like, again, it, it just plays into one of the reasons why they're so awesome, you know, because it's just so silly and so over the top, but uh, yeah. But again, you know, I'm sure Joey DeMaio like loves that stuff. I mean, he did awful bass covers of classical music, like right. William's Tale and all this stuff. Like, and, but it's not like when he wrote, sat down and wrote battle hymns that he was like, you know, channeling Mozart, you know, it was right. No, we're, we're certainly influenced by it, but it's not rooted. We are, our music is pop music in a certain sense. And yeah, I mean, and, and I think people are starting to recognize that a little bit more. And I, one thing that comes to mind is I've seen like most metalheads that I've talked to really do like ABBA. Which is a weird yeah. one. I mean, and I, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't. I get, ABBA annoys the shit out of me, but um, I, lo- I do like my, my share of pop music, you know? Um, so yeah, but the, I, the, you're right about that. Like, well, I, I think some of that's like, you know, some of those melodies and, and just the way the songs are put together. If you take a song like Gimme, 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 mm-hmm. which is the one that has that thing. If you really like just look at the structure of it and the harmonic structure of it and analyze it, it's like the exact same as so many metal songs. Yeah. It's just that it's realized a little bit differently with a different mood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I never really thought about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, shit. A lot of, going back to Michael Jackson, I mean, Eddie Van Halen was playing on his records too. You know, mm-hmm. like so. Um, yeah, and I don't know. There, there's there's just there's a lot of commonalities, and and like like you said, it, it, our music does have a lot of elements of, of, of poppiness, and I guess poppiness is just like I don't know. Is is it just is it, is the word, the, the word seems misused to me when heavy metal people use it. Is it. Are they using it as the word as a word for melody? Like the melody reminds them, it's melodic, so it reminds them of popular music? Yeah, maybe. Or like sometimes it seems like it, it refers to a little bit too much of a, of a I guess, a, a style of production that makes everything sound too polished and kind of sucks the life and the energy out of it. That's yeah, sometimes what they mean. I guess mean. so. I mean, I guess... I'm, I'm glad we. Do. I don't think we called the Durban album Poppy once. We might have. I have to listen I back. So. But I think the, you could play a drinking game with how many times we called it Poppy, and you'd be you'd be okay to drive after. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, we I we used the term pop because he's a pop singer and to describe the melodies. But I don't think we called it like, oh, this is just Poppy, so fuck it. Like we yeah. went like that. No. Um, yeah, I mean, and to be fair, there are times like you know I don't want to get stuck listening to Top Forty Radio. And I, sometimes it's happened, like, you know, you're in the doctor's office or writing with a friend whose music tastes are not yours <laughs> or whatever. And, like, if I listen to, like, a solid hour of Top 40 radio, I do start to feel a little queasy after a while. It's just tough, it all dude. Seems it's so, tough. Yeah. It seems so artificial in a way. Um, and it always has been. And that's the thing. Like, people talk about, like, oh, the radio music's so bad these days. Dude, it always was. <laughs> like, yeah. like I, you, just, you just weren't around for Millie Vanilli you know yeah <laughs> you know it's like oh man like oh it's pretty funny i was hanging out with, with my buddy terry the other day and my buddy i was flipping around my phone through my instagram stories and i guess i had the sound on 
And my buddy from Newfoundland had made a video. He's a chef. He was making a video of him cooking some pasta, but the theme song he used was Billy Vanilli. So it comes <laughs> on and Terry's like, the fuck are you listening to? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, pop, like, yeah. So I guess there's, the, I mean, I guess it's just describe, it describes something that maybe could be on the radio. Um, yeah, I guess there's this kind of connotation that there's commercial music is something that's kind of produced purely for, uh, you know, for, for making money and for sticking in people's heads and for people who don't really think. But that's not always, it's not always true. Sometimes maybe it's true. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there's always been cynical pop or there's always been cynical, just disingenuous crap sure always throughout history it's just that history tends to like edit out the bad shit after a while and only remember the stuff that's worth remembering well there's a lot of disingenuous metal too i mean new most of the new metal movement was pretty disingenuous i think i mean that was same with hair metal i mean most of the hair metal bands were just people trying to jump on a trend um yeah i guess that's that's maybe that's part of what people mean too is the difference between making something quote unquote from the heart which of course is an overused phrase but making something just for the sake of doing it without too much thought of yeah the reward you're gonna get and then doing it to achieve success and i think that i think some of the issue with the new metal movement looking back especially for me as somebody who kind of like i was musically coming into awareness when that was a thing and so that was my introduction to heavy music was was new i mean i, I like a and, lot of it too and there's some cool things about it, but I think some of the problem was that there was this kind of like top, this idea that there's a top down kind of structure of how it's being created. Like the record labels are kind of like trying to make it happen rather than a scene just naturally develop. Oh, there's a formula. Rising up. Yeah. There was a formula. And it was like, you know, it always, like the verse was always like real quiet. Like the drummer just kind of be tapping and like the DJ was like, what? You know, doing a little things like that. And the singer would be like whispering almost, like sing really calm vocals, like, you know, I want a this, I want a this, I want a that, I want a this. And then it's like, <laughs> and then like the big, chorus, the big chorus comes in, you know, like it's just like, <laughs> it's, it was all like really kind of structured like that. And it was, uh, it, it, it just, I think it was just too formulaic and too um, limited to really last that long. Although, yeah. I don't know. Some people, some people are still doing it. Um, and I think maybe the same I can, hair metal just got oversaturated. I think like just every fucking butthole in LA was trying to be, do that kind of music and people just got sick of it. Um, <laughs> I know I would have, um, but uh, and I guess that, that's, and then there's a lot the things do come in waves. Right. But I, I mean, I don't think it's because it's too poppy. Like, I mean, I got sick of thrash metal in the two thousands because I mean, it pissed me off because I started a thrash metal band and then, I started a thrash metal band in like 2004 and then like, you know, you get to like 2009, 10, 11 and it's just like the whole, the term retro thrash gets invented because there's all these bands that are just like a million of them that are playing like, you know, the real like pizza, I call, we call them, we call them pizza thrash, you know, like they're just like the thrash bands available, like always like kind of like fat guys wearing like white high tops and like flip up hats, you know, like it was like total like pizza thrash bands, but I mean, and some of them are good, you know, some of them are really good, uh, but then some of them were like, I don't know about that.
you know, <laughs> it's, uh, I remember there was a band called Bonded by Blood and I'm like, you really named your band after like the most famous <laughs> thrash album of all time and you're not an Exodus tribute. Okay. Hey, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just kind of a funny, it was a funny time. And, you know, now we got the new wave of traditional heavy metal, which has been going for a long ass time. Yeah. Um, whether it's still a thing or not. I mean, I guess it kind of is because like that's the name of like the biggest YouTube channel for underground metal these days, which is a great channel. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of bands that I really like and a lot of bands that I don't. And the difference to me is the, is the, is the ones who feel more genuine, the ones who kind of put their own spin on it. You know, again, like none of us are reinventing the wheel, but you know, at least like give the car a paint job. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to have something to offer your audience. Yeah. Like, we understand you've heard this kind of music. We understand that you understand the tropes. So we should offer something that you're not going to be getting from the next guy, whatever that is. Yeah. You know? and, and there's some bands in that genre that, I, that are super poppy that I freaking love. Like, or, you know, that I really like. Like High Spirits, for example. Mega poppy band. You know, even though their, their latest record was like, I think it's the one that really sold me on them. I wasn't totally sold on them before, but this new one is it's a little bit darker, um, but they has like those big AOR poppy hooks on it. And it's super poppy and I love it. It was one of my favorite albums that came out last year. Um, and then there's other bands in that, in that genre. You know, I'm not going to start throwing names out of bands that I don't like because that's not very cool. Um, but they're heavy as hell and it just doesn't do it for me. So... Yeah. I mean, poppy can be a good thing. Poppy can be a bad thing. Um, I don't know. I think the important thing is to be making music that, you know, is the music you want to be making and not trying to calculate the formula for success because people will see through that. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a fan listening to music, I'll tell you one of the best things I ever did for myself as, as a heavy metal fan and, I think part of it's just getting older, but I would encourage people to do this at a younger age than I did, is just drop the bullshit, drop the truer than thou attitude, and just let yourself enjoy things, you know? When the song comes out and it's not really like the most original or it's not, you think you might lose some metal cred or something for listening to it, who cares? If you like it, you like it. Give everything a shot. And if you don't like something, that's cool. Just don't, just, Focus more on what you do like than what you don't like. You just enjoy stuff. Like, just drop the fucking macho crap about, like, this has to be true or whatever. Like, nobody really cares. And um, in the grand scheme of things, you'll have a much better time if you just chill out and try to enjoy things. Yeah. Like, it's it's there's nothing wrong with just liking music, you know? <gasps> just default to, like, we're, we're here. We're playing music because we like music. Lots of people yeah. like music. They like different kinds of music for different reasons. But like, hey, liking music is the thing we can we can agree on, right? Yeah. And <laughs> I don't like the Durban record, but I'm not going to sit around and be pissed off about it. Like, okay, I, I'm, I'm happy I listened to it because, you know, I had the experience of, of listening to this album. And now I, I know I don't want to listen to it again. And it's okay. You know, it's right. nothing to be mad about. It's nothing to like, I'm not going to like jump on the internet call this guy a poser and a jackass and say that his poppy music is, is the worst thing ever. And they should be banished from the, the halls of heavy metal or whatever. Like, 
Whatever, Whips dude. and posers. Yeah, exactly. Deep the hall. Yeah, and this. <laughs> yeah, and I just again, like, and this probably sounds weird because I'm such a huge Manowar fan, but that stuff's not serious, man. Like, it ain't. Like, just it's fun and it's silly, and there definitely there are definitely are some people who do some poser ass shit. Like, don't get me wrong, but just yeah. calm down. <laughs> you know, just calm the fuck down. Yeah, but being a being a poser doesn't mean that you unironically like ABBA it it means that you're like fronting that you're 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 not being honest about what you like and you're not being honest about what you care about and you're pretending to to to, you're either pretending to care about things you you don't like or you're like not admitting the fact that you like the things you do like that's what a poser is nailed it a a poser is someone that like who who who's in this for like the image why anyone would do that I don't know but it's someone who is just is like (laughs) There and I got it, but you know what? There are like I gotta say, like in that definition of the word poser, I know a few motherfuckers like that who like are around to you know wear their wear their battle vests and hang out at shows and talk to their friends. But you ask them about you know the new whatever record, they don't have a clue. You know, it's like you're just here to because you think girls will like you or something. You know, like that's. And there are people like that. And that's the true poser, man. The posers aren't the guys who, you know, listen to the Bee Gees or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, whatever, man. I listen to the Bee Gees sometimes, too. They make fucking cool records. <laughs> I ain't afraid to admit it. Um, so, but yeah, I guess in the end, I guess the, our, uh, Heavy Metal's relationship with Pop is a complicated one, but clearly one that you and me are both very comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 complicated. Sometimes it it goes hand in hand. Sometimes it doesn't. But it, I just think that I don't want to get to the the place where if I'm hanging out at a metal show and I hear something that reminds me of a pop record I like, that I'm like hesitant to mention it because I don't want to be, you know, excluded from the <laughs> from the hall. You know, that's what I don't want to deal with. I want to be able to just like make connections to various types of music. Uh, no matter what genre, because that's interesting to me, and bring inspiration for various types of music, no matter what genre, because that's what keeps metal alive. You know? Yes, absolutely. And you know, just I guess having a bit of an open mind, or you know, have an open mind or don't. It doesn't really matter. But you know, I, I'm 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 with you. Like I, I don't want to, I don't want to shut things off that I might have a good time with, just because they don't fit a certain mold or image that I think I have to uphold. Because right, that's some poser ass shit. <laughs> If you ask me, but um, yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know. Let's look by judging by the the hour. That's probably a good place to to wrap it up. Um, So yeah, Um, Yeah. pop music, cool. (laughs) Um, So uh, yeah, Um, I guess that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Keepers of the Flame. Um, We don't really know what the heck we're going to do next week, but you know, we've got a couple of guests we're talking to. that are going to be on the show pretty soon. Um, we just, it's just a matter of, you know, we all have our own lives and our jobs and times we have to wake up in the morning. So, um, and sometimes some of these folks that we're going to have live on the East coast. So they're three, four hours ahead of us. So it's a matter of figuring out when we can make schedules work. Um, but we, uh, we do have some guests coming up and, uh, we will be back next week with, uh, some more records, some more topics and some more nerding out about heavy metal. So we will see you next week. All right. See you then. 